Hello and welcome to Be a B2B Leader. I'm your host Felician and today my guest is Shama Haider, a best-selling author, speaker, LinkedIn top voice in marketing and the CEO of Zen Media, a digital marketing and PR firm where they help tech-driven B2B brands increase market share and become front-runners in their industry. In this episode, we'll learn a lot about PR and earned media. And yeah, it's an exciting topic that I have no experience in. So it's great that Shama is here with me. Hi, Shama, and welcome to the show. Hi, Felician. I'm so happy to be here. And please know that you are not alone. Most marketers know very little about earned media and PR, so you are in good company. Awesome. So let's start with the first question. What should every B2B builder know about earned media and PR? Great question. So let's kind of go back to, you know, PR as a discipline, right? So PR stands for public relations because I think a lot of people say, oh, PR, that stands for press release. And it's because their version of PR has been to issue a press release, right? So like, um, and we can talk about why that tactic is not a great tactic and has not been for a long time um, for actual media coverage. But yeah, so we're talking about public relations and in public relations is so such a broad, broad term. You know, back in the day, it really meant more about connecting with the media and connecting with like the traditional media, the traditional press that carried so much weight. And today, I think it's a much broader term for visibility and more importantly, credibility, right? So third party validation. And that's the best way to think about earned media. And that could mean things like Wall Street Journal or a podcast or different publications, different platforms. It also means influencers. It also means just, you know, what, who do you have vouching for you? Who, um, given your audience, right? Who the, the people that you were trying to sell to your prospects, your audience, who influences them? What are they reading? What are they listening? What are they consuming? And how can you get those platforms to tell your story? So, how do you do that? <laughs> like, how do you learn what influences them and how do you ensure that those people start talking about you? Sure. So, yeah, great, great question. And, and boy, I, I mean, we could be here all year talking about that. But very highly, you know, kind of at a high level, you PR, a lot of it is what is happening in the world? What is the ethos? What is connecting your moment into what is happening in the in the greatest, uh, in the greater atmosphere, what is happening beyond your work? And so let's take a, let, I think the best way to showcase this would be an actual example, right, of, of a company and, and what's happening. So I'll, I'll use an example of one of our clients. One of our clients is in the restaurant uh, technology business, so hospitality industry, uh, SaaS platforms, uh, tech platform. And, you know, when COVID hit, when the pandemic hit, Obviously, restaurants were hugely affected. That was, and that was their, those were their buyers. That's who they sell to were these chains. And so in, in that moment, it was like, okay, well, how do we take what we care about, which is we care about these restaurant owners. The brand said, we, our whole premise is here to help them. That is who we serve. So how do we connect this? And their product, you know, they, they made some product modifications and they rolled out this campaign and it was enormously successful about letting restaurants be able to, using a QR code, pick up, you know, have their customers pick up their orders in the parking lots. And so 
without any kind of technical infrastructure or anything in place, they could very easily within 24 hours have this up and running. So regardless of what kind of restaurant you were before, to now be able to serve customers, you know, through through this application and be able to connect all your internal to just mobile phones, right? Because that's kind of how it went and be able to have that sort of drive-in delivery experience. So like the no-touch delivery. Um, and it was amazing. Over 1,200 restaurants in um, in the U.S. signed up for it and they got on board. The press that they got was outstanding. So the earned media coverage was worth billions of dollars. I mean, you can't buy enough Super Bowl ads to make up those <laughs> numbers and the credibility that you get, right? So that's just one example. And so I think some of the core principles are, what is the story that you are trying to tell? And I find this especially to be true for B2B leaders that are and founders that are very technical. They're technically driven. Like the more technical you are, the more you need to simplify that story for the press, for the people. Like, and, and I find that this is hard for them because the smarter they are, the more simpler you have to make it, right? You have to you have to really distill it. So that's a lot of our job. Our job in earned media is to tell that story, to find that story, to connect the dots to amplify that story and then measure the results. You connect it back to, you know, the business outcomes. So earn media by itself, it's very powerful. Um, I think it's hard for people because if you come from a performance world where you are just used to advertising and very digital advertising at that, this is a different beast. This requires a lot more um, different creative muscles it requires being able to think outside the box. It is not always easy to measure and like an ad, right? And that's why people still rely on press releases because they're like, oh, I send this press release out. And, you know, and then that's also all they know. But I don't know any journalists that actually go to these press release sites and say, let me see what I will write about today. Yeah. And this made sense before, like when press releases first came out, it was because that's where journalists would go. That was their, they would look through these releases to see what was interesting to write about. That's not how they get their information today. Yeah. Now, there is, a, there is a place for press releases, I will say, from like an SEO perspective, from a, you know, a lot of what we do isn't just for potential um, media. Sometimes that news is for current customers. It's for investors. There's many, many stakeholders. So there is a, there is a place for press releases. But it's definitely not a strategy, right? It's like one little tactic. Um, yeah. But it's just funny how many times people just think about that as like yeah. the go-to. Yeah, it's like a small part of the whole mix. Like I like the thing that you said about people being more technical and just talking about those things. Like I see that very often in the tech industry that people like to talk about the features. They like to talk about the yeah the code that's behind all of it, but. Frankly speaking, people don't really care about those things. Like they want to know what problem it solves, uh, if it impacts the world somehow, if it has yeah an impact on society. And yeah, those technical founders have to realize that we can't only sell sell the technical features, but we have to really sell with emotions. Sure, and the other thing to realize too in B two B, and this is where I think so many people misunderstand. You know, in B2C, right, if you think about what is a buyer trying to avoid, very simple. Right? We, we're much more keen to avoid than we are to experience. So we, we, mm-hmm. we avoid pain. <laughs> um, 
it's more important for us as human beings to avoid pain than it is to embrace pleasure. These are just very normal things. So when B2C, business to consumer, what a consumer wants to avoid at all costs is regret. So you don't want to buy that iPhone if you're like, ah, but there's a new one coming, you know, two months from now, right? I don't want to buy this, like, you know, I don't want to, what if I buy these pair of shoes, if I buy these glasses, like, am I really going to be happy with this purchase? Or am I going to say, ah, I shouldn't have spent my money on that. It's regret. That is the emotion yeah. you're trying to avoid. In B2B, a very interesting thing happens. The emotion that B2B buyers at most levels. Now, unless you're selling to like the founder, you know, no <laughs> bootstrap, that sort of thing. Yeah. The, the main thing you're trying to avoid is blame. Yeah. You're, and so what does that mean? It means the safe choice. And so back in the day, there used to be saying called, you know, nobody got fired for buying IBM. Yeah, it's a classic. It's, it's, it's a classic. And, but, but it was true. And it was because it didn't matter, like, if they were the best ones to solve your problem. It was just you could go to your boss. And even if they messed up, you would say, well, boss, I hired the best, right? Like, I brought in IBM. And you kind of see this similar to, like, some of these consulting companies, right? Well, like, like, is McKinsey the best at what they do or Bain or whatever you want to call not necessarily, right? Given whatever project it may be, but they're always this, they're generally the safe choice. And so yeah. I think this is the important thing for technical founders, really all B2B companies to understand is unless you are the default choice, which is what earned media does, it gives you validation and it makes your name. So it's safe. Think about Salesforce, right? I, what I find fascinating is if you look at Salesforce as a product, there are different products in the marketplace that might be better, like might be better suited for certain companies. They're not like a one size fits all yet. They're so ubiquitous. The Salesforce name has so much repetition that people, like companies don't say, Oh, get me a CRM system to manage the thing. They say, Oh, do, do we need Salesforce? Right? So yeah. it's, it's that kind of connection. Um, that you really need to understand that you're trying to make. And that doesn't happen from advertising. That doesn't happen from, well, I shouldn't say that. I should say, doesn't happen just from advertising. It doesn't happen just from, you know, having great products. I think the other part that you said, uh, Felician, which I think is so true, is people think their technology is a moat. And if the last decade has shown us anything, is that technology is not a moat. And by what I, what I mean by that is they think like, my product is so much more superior than our competitors. It doesn't matter. Like marketing doesn't matter. We have the better product. Right? Like that's like that's the biggest lie one 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 can say. <laughs> well, there's two ways that could be a lie, right? The lie you tell yourself. One, <laughs> let let's say your product really is better than your competitors. Do your customers care that it's generally if they're Maybe once they get into the product, great. But when they're making the buying decision, they care about the perception of the product more than the product itself. So, you know, you have these founders that are like, oh, but look at all the things we do that our competitors don't. It's like, okay, and what do you know? So that's, that's kind of the one lie, right? The other thing is thinking like, no, we are, our product is so good that no one else can compete with us. We're, we're so unique. And they always think this is kind of like, you know, I, I, I've said this to entrepreneurs. I'm like, listen, even God has competition. So <laughs> your, I love it. <laughs> your, your competition could be a notebook. It could be old school spreadsheets. Like there is an alternative now. These people are not 
falling apart because they don't have your product or service. <laughs> They're exactly. managing to get by. And so I think there's that, like, look at chat GPT. This is so fascinating. One company breaks kind of this AI and all of a sudden, like, Bing, Google, Meta, they're all like, AI, yeah. we have it. We have, you know, you see a, yeah, a bunch of- Everyone jumps on the train. Everyone jumps on the train, but it's like, so yes, I mean, while chat GPT may be awesome, it's great. there is no, technology is no longer a moat. It does not, doesn't matter how proprietary it is, how proprietary you think it is, how special it is, how complex it is. Perception is what sells your product. It's what gets someone to buy your product. And if it's awesome, great, because guess what? That's what keeps them, right? If it's yeah. a great product, they're much less likely. That's the stickiness factor. That's the, hey, this is a great product. We feel good about our purchase. But that's almost post-purchase. It's not the thing that they're buying. Um, and again, no matter how great you think your features are, someone could come along tomorrow and have same features, better features, yeah. right? There's... Like, There's so it's many easy things. to create a new technology. Yeah. So, it's not as difficult as it was 40 years ago. Right. But good marketing and establishing the brand, good luck having someone to, you know, that market share is so much harder to chip at. Yeah. And Shama, I want to ask you, what's the actual difference between PR and media and news? Yeah, great, great question. It's all kind so, of connected, right? Yeah, they're very interconnected. Well, so news is obviously what you consume, right? Like that is what's happening in the world. That's what's published. Let's put it this way. Earned media and PR can be used interchangeably. I don't necessarily. So earned media is any time where you are not paying for. See, it's not advertising. Right? You, you are getting that because there's a story to be told that that platform publication podcast wants to share. So in many ways, uh, Felicia, and we can think of this podcast as earned media. I did not pay you to be on this podcast. You invited me as a guest. You're creating value for your audience. But if my team looks at it, we'll say, ah, this is earned media because we earned, right? We earned your trust and we earned the attention of your audience. And hopefully by the content we share, we are earning their trust. So earned media is, is exactly that. So if you think about it, you have paid, which is very straightforward. You pay for yeah. it, you get that. There's social, right? Which is your, your kind of shared, what people, LinkedIn, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever, social channels. Um, then you have owned, that's your website. Those are properties you absolutely control, contain, um, your case studies, your newsletter. These are all your owned properties. And so it's really kind of these different elements. You have your paid, you have your social, you call it shared, earned, owned, and they all kind of come together, right? And so, so many times marketing um, departments, B2B companies, they'll focus on one element because it's the element they understand. They're like paid, but that's one spoke of the wheel. Where's the thought leadership? Where's all these things? And here's what I think is fascinating in B2B right now that is so incredibly broken, it like blows my mind, right? So ask any B2B company and they'll say that sales, we are sales-led company. They take great pride in this. Like it's all about the sales. What's fascinating is the customer side, the buyer side, B2B buyers on average are 64% through the buying process before they ever talk to sales. Yep. Like this is this is not me. This is Forrester. And, and add to this, it takes now post-pandemic 27 touch points 
for them to go from prospect to buyer. Meaning the way our kind of funnel is, so imagine like, you know, a, a funnel, the way B2B companies approach it is it's sales. You come in, sales catches you, right? Yeah. We funnel you through. But what's happening is buyers are selling themselves. They don't want to talk to sales. They would rather do all the exploration themselves, make their choices. They want to talk to sales when it comes to evaluation. So if you are doing your marketing well, really what, what you should see is that sales are order takers. Because people are already coming in convinced, like I want to, I also have another kind of radical thing to say is that I think SDRs should report to marketing because it would clear up so much confusion. We're like, oh, what does marketing do? Marketing sells all these people that don't want to be sold to right now. Like (laughs) you don't have to call them. (laughs) They don't want to, yeah, they're not, they do not want to engage, right? People don't want to, they don't want to feel like imagine when you go into a store. You're looking for something. You're looking for, you know, jeans, uh, sneakers, whatever. Someone comes up to you. Oh, can I help you? What do you say? Nine out of ten times. No, thank you. I'm just looking. No, thank you. Because you are just looking. You're like, I haven't decided. I don't don't want to waste this person's time. I don't, you know, I don't want to say, like, I don't know yet, right? I'm exploring. I... When you know, you might say, oh, excuse me, I do need your help. Uh, Can you know if you have these shoes in like a size 11? Whatever. Um, But you're not, and it's the same thing. It's like, so it's funny because as marketers, we forget all this and then we become these like robots. (laughs) But but that's where marketing really comes in. Look, it's very, very simple. Marketing's job is to create opportunities. Sales job is to close those opportunities. The way you define an opportunity, there's so much, you know, like back and forth about. But someone who comes in, who is well marketed to, who already is excited about your brand, understands what your product does. They're just looking to see if you fit the bill for what they need is way more likely to close than someone that you have cold call found, right? Like on the street, like, excuse me, sir, do you wear shoes? What size is shoes? You know, what color is your preference? Would you like to try these shoes on? But it's just funny and, and we laugh and we all think it's silly, but that is how so much of B2B still works. Yeah. And I want to be really clear. I, I think cold emailing has a place in marketing. I think that everything like, you know, HubSpot did a disservice to the marketing world because when they came in, they made everyone believe like inbound is the only thing. Eh, yeah. There's a lot of strategies that work. There's not a one, you know, one strategy. Yeah. But it's all about how it's executed, right? And so it's just, it's kind of fascinating to me from a PR perspective or media perspective, not just from like a a sheer like credibility, how your customers are buying um, viewpoint, but also from this broader, like how impactful it is for SEO and for capturing demand of people that are already looking for what you have to offer. Anyways, we can talk more about that. But I, you can tell that I feel very passionate about yeah, this. Like, I just feel the passion and I think all the listeners hear it. So, yeah. But when it comes to PR and earned media, what strategies and tactics are best when someone wants to start, start leveraging it? Like, what should they start doing? Yes. Okay, so this is actually, I'm going to step back a little bit. I will tell you guys what not to do. 
and what to do. So I think awesome. the not to do is just as important, right? Um, but yes, to, to step back a little bit and say, okay, you know, let's look at very broadly, if you divide marketing into two areas, there is capturing demand, people who are already looking for what you have to offer. That's usually 5% of your marketplace. 5% of your audience is ready to like, potentially they are looking at solutions. Let's say you sell a CRM software, they're in the market, they might be open 5%, right there. You want to capture these people. These are people that are like, I'm looking for a CRM software. Great, let me introduce you to so-and-so. The other aspect of marketing is creating that demand. You're not thinking about that CRM software. You might not be thrilled with yours, but it's not like a big priority for you. You're in that 95%. You're not looking to switch just yet, but you're open, right? So this audience, you have to educate. This is the audience, the 95%. This is where you market to them, where when they get to that 5%, you are their go-to. You are sort of their, their default. So now that we've sort of set the stage, right, of, of kind of earned media and, and where it, we'll talk about where it falls, but that's kind of the broad um, gist of it. Now, if we think about the capture side, SEO comes to mind, driving traffic mm -hmm. to your website. No matter what you do, it's part of it. You got to drive traffic to your site. If you're not driving traffic to your site, by the way, and your site is not your biggest lead generator, you're doing it wrong <laughs> because your website should really be your number one lead source. Um, so within that, Google has a big algorithm update that they came out with called EAT, Expertise, Authority, Trust. They recently added another E, very creative of them, experience, <laughs> expertise, authority, and trust. This is literally earned media. They've just described this. What they want to know is the things that you are talking about, that you have the experience in this area, you have expertise in this area, you are considered an authority in this space, and that you are a trusted resource for this information. Earned media, PR, that's what this gives you. It literally gives you the expertise, this authority, this trust. And to be very clear, they don't have to link back to your website. Google knows. Like the, people are fascinated. They're like, oh, I want to link back from, doesn't matter. Like the, this has been for years. Social signaling is a big thing. You don't need links back to your website for them to know that you are fulfilling this criteria, right? Yeah. So when you fulfill this criteria and you have press, helps your website rank better for the keywords that you want. You get more qualified traffic. So there's that aspect of it. Then there's the aspect of the story that you tell. How do you educate people? How do you engage them? How do you create? Um, so what this can look like, right? Part of it is starting with coming up with things that someone would want to talk about. Part of our job okay. is to find what that looks like based on what they do. So sometimes companies mistakenly think, well, we don't have news. We don't have anything new to share. Yeah, but that's kind of a job of a good, you know, agency, PR, like creatively thinking about how can you connect the dots about yeah. what's happening in the world. Um, and so again, I'll, I'll give you an example. Maybe it's putting together a, um, a some sort of study. Maybe it's a study with some findings about what your customers' greatest challenges are. And then you share those findings with press to, you know, get people talking about. So you do have to think broadly. You have to go from this is my product and service to who's my audience. What are the bigger problems they're facing? What are their challenges? I'll give you an example. So we work with um, Chase Business. 
a really, really smart bank. I mean, for as big as they are, they do some really creative stuff and they're very quick to move, which I've always admired. So one of the things that they did was they asked their business customers, because uh, on the business side of things, what is your greatest business challenge? They're not asking them their greatest banking challenge. They're like, yeah, we, we know yeah. what we sell, like, but we want to, you know, we're, you're going to, the, your banking is directly correlated to the business that you do. If you're growing, you're going to take the loans. If you are, you know, like yeah. you, so you, we need to help these businesses grow. So what do you need? And the number one thing that they said was they needed help marketing. And so this is really fascinating, right? So it's like, all right, so yeah. your customers are telling you that their greatest need is marketing. You're a bank. It's obviously not what you do, but what if we created something that allowed you to serve your customers this way? So together we came up with this concept of like a, you know, like an Apple genius bar, but mm -hmm. similarly like a, a, like a social media genius bar at their conferences where their customers yeah. could sign up and they could come and ask questions about marketing. And nice. it was so successful that it eventually turned into a national campaign where we redid this, like this giant bizmobile, like this on wheels. <laughs> yeah business office essentially that traveled around the country and it answered people's questions about marketing, like help their small business owners. Right. And so the press on that was amazing. I mean, the amount of earned media, the amount of visibility, the, the share of voice that they got just outstanding. So while at the same time, their, their customers are like, this is so cool. Like my bank is People say, oh, we care about our customers. These guys were actually putting money where their mouth is. They're doing this to show we listened what you said on the survey. We're giving you this. So it was a phenomenally successful campaign. And so part of earned media is not just to think about it as a press release. It's not just to think about it as an article, but to think broadly. Right? Um, a few years ago, podcasts, for some reason, people say, like, oh, podcasts, how many people listen to those? Or like, I want to be on the cover... Yeah, but good podcasts with the right audience can be so much more effective. So it's also about that. So you ask me, how do you go about it? You, un you start by understanding your goals. That's, that's yeah. your first thing. What are your business goals? Are you looking for more leads? Is it more predictability in, in cycle? Are you in a David Goliath situation, meaning you've got way bigger competitors and you need to get creative and scrappy and, you know, engage in that way? Yeah. Um, is it that you need gravitas around your brand because you're like, hey, we're not even getting invited to the table. We do what these guys do, but because they're Accenture or Deloitte, whatever, right? They're the go-tos and nobody even knows that we could do a better job with this. So how do we get invited to these deals? Once you understand your goal, then you can really create a strategy that backs into that goal. And part of it is, look, you have to have a really good pulse about what's happening in the world. So what you do has to align with, with the greater global events. And another example is many of our clients, when you know the, the war broke out in Ukraine, many of them had developers in Ukraine or had technical offices there, or like they had people impacted by it. So they're like, how do we respond to this? You know, how do we respond to this in a way to let our customers know things are gonna be okay? So sometimes PR can be crisis communication. It can be a, hey, this is an important time. How do we communicate? Other times it really is about being creative and creating buzz and then tying it back. So I think that's the other big thing for B2Bs um, to understand. And I look, I'll be very blunt and say that PR companies don't understand this because they don't come from a marketing background. I think 
at Zen Media were kind of unique because we started as a marketing firm that mm-hmm. looks at earned media rather than like a yeah. traditional comms firm. And I think that's important because PR by itself isn't going to do anything for you, right? Like, let's say you get an amazing piece, even in the New York Times, you're on the cover in the New York Times. Awesome. It is not going to make your phone blow up. <laughs> it's not, you know, it's much more how you use that media. So a lot of what we do is even teaching like salespeople, like, look, your CEO was on this podcast. Your VP of growth was quoted in this article. Use this to nurture your prospects, create that trust, move it forward. Because the chances that all of them have seen this, no, very little, right? Um, The other thing, if you get press, amplify on social. More people get their news from LinkedIn feeds than they do from the actual platform source. So you're leveraging that credibility and you're combining it with social amplification to get the visibility that you're looking for. What you absolutely don't want to do is just continue to send out these press releases, you know, like product announcement, new hire. Yeah, the best ones out there. Oh my goodness. I mean, it is, it, it really adds to the noise. And some of these are just like, I'll take that back. Most of these are really badly written. I'm like, there's nothing of value for the reader. So even if you're like, I'm going to put this out there, any piece of content, you have to stop and think like, what is someone going to get out of this? Even if it's, I want them to think differently about us. Okay. But you have to connect the dots. How does that help better their life? What does this mean for them? Um, And that's usually missing in most releases. And Shama, your answer brings up another point that I want to ask you about. Like, what's the role of thought leadership in earned media? Like, does it work brilliantly in it or doesn't it work at all? Yeah, no, I I love it. So thought leadership, let's break that down, right? I mean, very simply, it's that people like engaging with people more than companies. So when you're CEO, when you're founder, when you're VP of anything um, is posting on LinkedIn, when they're sharing their insights, when they're on podcasts, when they're talking about things, that is going to create a much deeper connection to your brand and be 10 times more powerful than anything you post on a LinkedIn page for your company, right? So thought leadership really kind of comes down to people versus brands. And as human beings, we like engaging with with other human beings. I also think leadership in general has changed because before, the more important a leader was, the more gatekeepers they had, right? See, like, oh, if you go through six people to get to this person, they're really important. Now, the burden of leadership is such that the more important you are, the more accessible you need to be to people, right? So you don't have to go far to see how many prime ministers you can tweet at or like get in front. So accessibility is a hallmark of of good leadership. Um, I mean, you always have to create some balance for yourself in your personal life, but that's that's essentially what it boils down to. Now, the other part of it, the leadership is thought. So that's also what kinds of things are you sharing? So when we work on like thought leadership strategies for clients, we really like to distill that. Be like, what what kind of themes are you curious about that you want to be known for? What do you want to be synonymous with? And sometimes it can be, oh, you know, philanthropy or philanthropy meets, you know, leadership or maybe executive leadership lessons applied to this world or someone say, whatever it is. And then it's about consistency. So thought leadership is is very powerful, but yes, look, you have to have something to say. And that doesn't mean you personally already have it. It means that someone can work with you and bring that out in you, right? Asking the right questions, 
getting kind of the the base of that knowledge um and then being consistent in how you share that and building an audience and then amplifying that i mean that you know is it is a such a powerful i mean that's why with media too you need good spokespeople and that means again you don't have to be a naturally good spokesperson it's part of what we do is is train people get them media ready if they're going to do television or whatnot luckily so much is print which is also nice and digital because it gives you the ability to to do it you know written so if you're not very comfortable on camera or whatnot you have other platforms available to you but yeah i mean look i thought leadership is huge um and if you are if you're listening to this and you're like oh we don't i don't know who we have as a company that would be you know you've got to start to develop that you've got i mean look at how many companies these days are hiring creators or people because they know that that's important because an individual's brand is always going to beat out like look i mean oprah has been off of you know her channel for 20 years now 30 years maybe yeah. since she did her show right if you ask most people they can't tell you what network she was on but they know oprah yeah. exactly right and so we we know the individuals even if we don't always know the brands and in this case it is about connecting that thought leadership obviously to the brand to elevate it but it's very important because if you are solving and here's what i find for most b2b companies that are solving a problem that are doing something unique they do have a point of view i mean you have to you you didn't create that product without a point of view right? yeah. and that point of view is this is a problem that needs to be solved and the current market whatever it's not solving it correctly or we're doing something different and so that's really what thought leadership is i think people get think it's something very complex and it's really not it's just your viewpoint and making sure that that viewpoint um is is shared consistently and across the board yeah and i think that we see more and more founders just leveraging those yeah that founder brand they want to share why they are doing it what's the meaning behind their company what's the meaning behind the product and yeah this message resonates like it's especially seen in the martech sector because when you go to linkedin and you're a marketer you will see other marketers other founders who are just showing how their product helps you in your job for for sure yeah and you know sometimes it's the founders but it doesn't always have to be i mean for many of our clients it's you know the the vp of product or the vp of of demand, whatever it is they they're not sometimes the founders are not the best they don't either don't have the appetite for it they don't have the time for it they don't whatever a million things so it doesn't always have to be it's great if you have a founder that's willing um it's also very important for investors you know for a lot of our clients we're helping them raise series b c you know whatever getting ready for pre ipo what um or their ipo so like all these the all these kind of factors part your social image is a big part of it right like investors are looking like is there movement happening here so beyond like the founder story it's like your success stories and so i always tell people like success breeds success and so the more you share that success the more opportunities you attract and that in turn allows you to have more success yeah. so it really is like kind of a, a you know getting that flywheel going Awesome. So, Shama, one last question for today. Like, maybe not the last one, but what would you say what's the biggest takeaway from the whole conversation from all the things that you said? Yeah, I think that's a great final question actually. So, great best biggest takeaway. Um I mean, I could say, you know, ignore earned media at your own peril, but I think the biggest takeaway if you're listening closely to this is 
understanding how buyers buy, especially in this environment, which whether we're in an official recession or not, whatever, it's people, the fear is there. It's palpable. You don't have to look far to see it. Understand that a buyer is more discerning than ever, meaning they are going to do their homework twice (laughs) before they come talk to you. And a more discerning buyer means that your marketing, your, you know, what other people say about you is more important than ever because they're not going to engage with you right away, right? They, they want to really feel good about the decision they're making. So understand that buyers want to sell themselves. They want to, you know, they want to buy, but they don't want to be sold. And so creating an organization that is marketing led because you understand, not because, look, it's not because you think it's great or I think it's great or someone else You just have to look at the data. And if you're really looking at the data, it's not just quantitative data, it's qualitative. So if you look at how people buy today and you know that they're discerning and you realize that they really want to buy, feel good and come to these conclusions on their own, then you will change how you reach out to them. Awesome. Perfect. Please tell the audience where they can find you and how can you help them? Uh... Well, I hope this has been helpful. You can uh, you could definitely find me on on LinkedIn. Feel free to mention the podcast. I'm happy to connect. Um, Felician speaks very highly of his audience and his community. So look forward to meeting you guys. And of course, if you want to learn more about earned media and how all of this plays together um, for B2Bs, definitely check out zenmedia.com. The team works incredibly hard to put together, you know, resources. And that really is a great hub. We also walk our talk. So feel free to follow us and reverse engineer if that's helpful. Um, but yeah, that's uh, zenmedia.com. I will include the links in the description and you can find Shama on LinkedIn pretty easily. Like she's the one with over 100,000 followers. So <laughs> yeah. Shama, it was a pleasure to have you. Thank you very much for the interview. Thanks, Felician. This was a fun conversation. Really enjoyed it.